Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, June 12th, The Young and the Restless Rules! <laughs> I love it! I love it so much! Like, this week there's just been layers of action! I mean, so much has happened! It's been, like, layers of action forming into a, a cake of delicious drama. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's been so good. And this week ended with, I think, probably one of the biggest cliffhangers in the history of ever. I, I can't even think of another time where we've had this huge of a Friday cliffhanger. And I can't even remember the last time that I thought, oh my gosh, I have to watch YNR live on Monday. I need to know the second that the storyline progresses. I, it's like a, an addiction. I need to know immediately. And I can't wait to find out what happens on Monday. And so help me God, if any of you spoil this for me, <laughs> I'm going to be so mad. I will never make another video. <laughs> I will never do another podcast ever. If one of you guys spoils this for me, ugh. I'm going to be so mad. I'm looking at you, Canada. <laughs> I know you Canadians get the show a day early. So this is the first time I'm ever going to say this. If you know what's going to happen, please don't leave me a comment. <laughs> you can comment on the storyline, but please just don't spoil this for me. I might not even, I might wait until, I might wait until after Monday to read comments for this week. just can't take any chances. It's so good. I mean, if you guys have not watched the show, watch it. I'm going to do my best to talk about it and recap it, but if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Like, if you only watch one show all month, go back and watch Friday's show. You can see it on CBS.com. You, you absolutely have to, you have to experience it live. I feel like I'm not even going to be able to do it justice, but I'm going to try. <laughs> so here we go. Okay. Essentially, Colin's plan is coming together, and it's all, it's building toward this huge climax, and Colin is getting ready to take the babies, go back to Australia, and he wants to raise them there. He, he feels, I think, like he screwed up his family, which he did. His children, two of his children are dead. You know, he has this estranged relationship with his ex-wife. And he, I think, sees this as a second chance to take, you know, Kane's children back to Australia and try to make up for all of the things he didn't do. So he prepares to fly away. He has this goodbye moment with Jill. And it's actually really sad. He tells her that he's going on a business trip. But the goodbye that he's giving her is clearly so much more than just a, I'm going on a business trip, see you in a couple of days. I mean, he gives her this hugely passionate kiss. And I sort of got the impression that maybe he actually was in love with Jill, that he he does care for her, and that maybe, you know, falling in love with her wasn't part of the plan. Like, he was maybe using her at first, but then he started to enjoy their relationship and started to really care about her, and now he's just so deep in. He has this plan to get the children back to Australia, and he is 
absolutely not going to let anything get into the into the way of that. So he says goodbye to her. And um, next he calls Neil to get Neil on the phone, uh, separate from Jill. So Jill doesn't know this. Calls Neil says he's going to come pick up the babies at the coffee house. And he does it of course under the guise of babysitting. Neil, let me take the Neil, let me take the kids. <laughs> I don't know when Colin became uh Colin became southern, but it's more like Neil, let me take the babies off of you. <laughs> I'll watch them while you can focus your time on Lily. That was bad. <laughs> But Colin, you know, uses Neil and in the situation with Lily to try to get him to give over the babies, and and Neil does. So Colin goes to the coffee house to pick up the babies, and what he doesn't know is that Jill follows him, and Jill, she's she sees that he's not going on a business trip, and she jumps to the conclusion that he is. Picking up the babies so that he can surprise her. She starts to think, oh, Colin lied to me, but it's it must be part of a surprise, which is actually really, really sad. So Jill follows Colin as Colin goes back to this, um, what, what they now call the Macmillan Estate, the old Macmillan Estate, <laughs> which is where um, Genevieve and Kane have been meeting for all of these, you know, weeks, they've been meeting and planning, and and by the way, Genevieve is waiting there, waiting for Colin to show up. To to he's gonna take this helicopter ride out of out of the country or whatever. And Genevieve is waiting there to see him because she wants to have this sweet sweet revenge moment. And so when Colin arrives to take his helicopter away, she's gonna meet him there, and she's planning on making him pay for. Uh, killing their daughter, Samantha, and uh, killing their son, Caleb, and um, just essentially destroying their family, destroying her life. And so now Colin's on his way. Neil is free of the babies. He, Neil thinks everything is totally fine. So he goes over to Lily's house where um, Sophia and Malcolm are gathering up some books and some movies to go take to Lily in the mental institution. So she'll have some things to do while she's there. And Neil, I love Neil. I love Neil because Neil accidentally finds the note, the infamous note that Cain left for Lily before he quote-unquote, died before he went off to, quote-unquote, die. The note that we've all been waiting for, wondering about for months. Neil finally finds it. It was all dusty (laughs) from being behind that desk where it fell. Um, I was so glad. I was so, so glad to finally see that become revealed. And Neil reads the letter out loud. And essentially, it says, Dear Lily, Colin is my father. I have a twin. <laughs> stay away from Colin. Whatever you do, just stay away from him. And I'm actually going to ignore, I'm going to choose to ignore the inconsistencies that we have here with the storyline because they do exist. I hate to say it, but I mean, Kane had to assume 
that Lily got that letter. So why didn't he wonder why she was continuing to let Colin see the babies? And, and furthermore, why didn't he wonder why Lily hadn't put two and two together on the, on the twin thing? I just, uh, whatever. <laughs> it, it doesn't completely make sense to me, but I don't even care because it's all turning out so good that I'm just willing to overlook it. So Malcolm and Neil and Sophia all have this moment reading the letter out loud, realizing what's going on, that Colin is Kane's father and he's a totally bad guy and he has the children. So Malcolm and Sophia decide to go off and get to Lily. They bring the letter with them um, to the mental institution to tell Lily all about it. And Neil first calls Jill. Well, actually, no, he first called Colin. Can't get Colin on the phone. Then calls Jill and clues her in about the whole thing. Of course, we don't totally know that. There's a little bit of gap in time. We're not exactly sure what Jill knows at this point, but Neil did have a chance to get to her first. He also calls the police, and then he rushes off to catch up with Colin. Jill has told, or, yeah, Jill has told, <laughs> it's complex. Jill has told Neil where Colin is, that she's followed him. She's followed him off to this Macmillan estate, and she tells Neil that that's where he is. Neil calls the police and rushes off to meet all three of them. Now, <sighs> Colin has the babies. He's packed them into this truck. And he's, he's ready to go. He's standing around waiting for the helicopter to show up to land so that he can get his getaway. He's just waiting for the pilot to land. So they're all, he's standing around waiting. And Jill's in the bushes looking at him, at this point clued in, wondering what's going on. She realizes that it's all coming to a really quick boil here. So she steps out from the bushes and confronts. Colin. She decides that she's going to go out there and at least try to stall the situation. And Colin, of course, is, you know, it's, he's, he does seem to have a soft spot for Jill. He's not happy that she managed to follow him there. I mean, that wasn't part of his plan, but he still tries to be somewhat patient with her. And just as they're having a conversation, Kane shows up and Jill sees him and pretends to faint. So she's out cold. And again, she's just trying to buy time. She she knows what's going on and she she's she's just trying to save the situation. Kane at this point when Jill passes out kind of rushes over to Jill and and gets a little bit concerned about her and he shows his hand a little bit because of course Colin thinks he's Caleb and Caleb is supposed to be uncaring you know I mean Caleb should have been the kind of guy that would have just slit her throat and get the whole thing over with but Kane shows this moment of concern for Jill well Jill wakes up she's only out for a little bit she wakes up and she and Colin get to have their final confrontation. Colin reveals that, you know, he is indeed Kane's father, and Jill has this full realization moment that she's been used. You know, I mean, it's very unfortunate, and I have to say that I am so sorry that Jill got caught up in all of this, that her heart got caught up in all of this, because that's the worst thing of it, you know, is that, that Jill... 
oh my gosh, Jill has had such a hard time finding love. That's all she's really ever wanted in her whole life is to find love. And she meets this guy, she falls wildly in love, gets married, and it turns out to be a complete hoax. And you just can't help but feel sorry for her in that moment. Um... But she had to say, she handled herself really well. Considering everything that she had at stake, she was, she was pretty focused. She vowed to not let Colin get away with this, and she runs off. She just runs off into the night. She says she's going to go call the police. And Colin doesn't really care because at this point he figures, I'm only a couple minutes from from my complete getaway. So by the time she gets back, nobody's going to, I mean, I'm going to be gone. So whatever. So (laughs) still waiting around for the helicopter. That's when Neil shows up. Neil finally gets there. And Neil is like, oh, hell no. You are not taking these kids anywhere. And I was like, I was so happy to see Neil. I was waiting for him to like just haul off and just hit Colin with one of those huge biceps of his. I like, but let's just, I don't want to dash over that. Like, let's not miss this opportunity to talk about how hot Christoph St. John is. I mean, he is, his muscles are so thick that literally I have been thinking when I see him lately, I bet he has to buy special shirts for those muscles. I mean, regular shirts probably can't even, he's bust, he's like the Incredible Hulk, like busting out of those shirts. So, I mean, even thinking about Neil versus Colin, come on. I mean, clearly Neil could just like knock Colin over with one of his arms, but Neil gets there and then now he has this moment of confusion because Colin is this evil guy, but he turns around and he sees Kane and he's, and he thinks it's Caleb. But Kane, this is Kane's moment now to reveal the truth to his father that he's been playing him. So Kane kind of steps out from behind Colin and crosses over to stand right by Neil's side and says, I'm Kane, you know, and Neil starts to realize it is Kane and he's on my side. And now both of us need to take out the situation. You know, we need to get the take Colin out, get the babies back. But <laughs> Colin, in learning that, Ka- that, you know, that Caleb was actually Cain, was not particularly surprised. He had figured it out when Jill fainted and Cain rushed over to her. I mean, Cain just, he showed his hand. He was just a little bit too concerned and he gave it all away. So Colin of course, we don't know this at the time. Colin on the sly, when that happened, m- must have called one of his thugs in for backup. <laughs> because out of nowhere, this huge dude appears out of the bushes. Well, the big dude flicks his cigarette onto the ground, and we just see this butt, the cigarette butt sitting on the ground, and he busts out of nowhere to struggle with both Neil and Kane. It's like Neil and Kane trying to take this one big dude down. And off in the distance, Colin hears this 
old-timey, kind of haunting music playing in the night. And he realizes that it must be Genevieve. He just says out loud, Genevieve. And I mean, there's... There's just so much more to that relationship that we never got to see that kind of feels a little bit like a storyline hole. Because that song must have meant something. I mean, it must have been significant because hearing it was enough to make Colin wander away from this struggle between Neil Kane and his goon. And it made him leave these babies that he worked so hard for. He just knew for some reason that that song meant Genevieve and he just kind of wanders up to this mansion. So he follows the music up to the house (laughs) and walks in to this very creepy scene that Genevieve has set up. She has essentially recreated (laughs) the scene of Samantha's death. Really weird. She even went to the trouble of getting the same furniture that they had. I mean, she made this super crazy. Like, you know those chalk outlines if you watch a police show and somebody dies and they do that chalk outline on the floor? Well, she had one of those, only instead of like a chalk outline, it was made up of all of these photos of Samantha. Like, she put some time into this. It was like a creepy craft project, actually. (laughs) And she has Samantha's ashes sitting on the mantle. And so Colin walks in, sees all of this stuff, and he's just has this puzzled look on his face, like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, what? what? What is this? And he, I mean, I don't even think he realizes that he's just walking right into her trap. He continues to just kind of wander around the mansion. He steps out onto the balcony where the music is coming from, playing on an old record player, and he just calls out to her. He's like, Genevieve, show your face. So Genevieve, she finally reveals herself to Colin, and they start to have this argument. And Genevieve is finally getting this chance to say all of the things that she's wanted to say to Colin for so, so long, and she's telling him off. And slowly, she's backing him toward the edge of the balcony. And they're just having, continuing to have this huge, huge argument until he is right up against the balcony. I mean, he could be looking, he's looking down. If he turns around, looks down, it's a long way down. <laughs> and down on the ground, <laughs> Kane and Neil are still having their argument. And Kane tells Neil, you know what? I'll deal with the big guy. You go on. You go deal with Jill. I'm going to I'm going to wrap things up with big dude. I'm going to take it out, take him out, protect my babies. You go on and find Jill because she's in danger too. So so Kane stays at the helicopter site to fight the big dude, and Neil goes off into the night to find Jill. They catch up, they meet up with each other, they you know, Neil and Jill kind of have this little conversation concurring that Kane is really alive, and then Lily shows up. Uh, Malcolm and Sophia had gone to Lily when they, you know, when they revealed the letter to her. And Lily, as soon as she learned the truth, 
She was not about to sit around at the mental hospital while her children were in danger. So Lily comes out. She's at the site with Neil and Jill, but she doesn't know that Kane is still alive. I mean, Neil and Jill are kind of wanting to tell her the truth, like saying, look, there's something you need to know. But she still thinks, for all intents and purposes, from the contents of the letter, that Kane is Caleb. So they're all kind of talking and meeting up there, and suddenly... All three of them look up, and they see Colin and Genevieve arguing on the balcony. And then one wrong word, and Genevieve pushes Colin over the edge. Like, he manages, actually, to grab on to the balcony, and he's hanging on for dear life. But Genevieve is standing over him, just giving him this evil smile like it's your turn now you took my children's life and now it's time for me to take your life so back at the the uh the helicopter site <sighs> kane is having a really hard time taking down this big dude it proves he proves to be much stronger than kane anticipates and the babies are still sitting in the truck behind this entire struggle when the big dude finally pulls out a gun and he starts to point it at kane and kane's like whoa you know i don't want to get shot here he tries to reason with the big dude you know kind of kind of saying hey all i want is to protect my children and he starts to kind of close in on the big dude and is able to knock the gun out of his hand but the gun still goes off the gun shoots a hole into the gas tank where the babies are where they're sitting and of course they don't realize it they don't realize it at first they're still struggling it's this huge fight and as the gas drains out of the gas tank onto the floor it starts to slowly make its way over toward the lit cigarette butt that the big dude flicked onto the ground earlier. Oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs> That's where we left off on Friday. I mean, just recapping where we are now. I'm sweating just thinking about it. <laughs> Colin is hanging off the edge of the balcony. And Kane is trying to fight this big dude and get the babies out of the truck before he realizes that it's about to explode. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's layers, layers of drama. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's so good. Um, actually, this week, in a totally unrelated storyline, Noah was having a conversation with Nick, and he said something to Nick like, man, it seems like there's always drama in this town. <laughs> it was so ironic. I, I just about shouted at the screen. I was like, "Whoa!" you know, I mean, it's so true. I love it. I love the drama. Oh, my goodness. Mm. I mean, I'm sure that um, the babies will be okay. Clearly, they're not going to explode the babies. <laughs> And I'm sure also that Colin will, I don't know, I guess he'll either die or he'll get arrested. But um, if I know my YNR, 
<laughs> then there's still one big confrontation <laughs> that's waiting to happen, just waiting. Because Lily has yet to discover that Kane is still alive. And again, I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> but I'm wondering if Neil and Jill will maybe run off to find out what happened to Colin, leaving Lily to wander back to where Kane is by herself. Hopefully Kane will have defeated the bad guy the big dude, and Lily, I think it's possible, could maybe see Kane standing there with her children, think that it's Caleb, she still thinks it's Caleb, and then maybe grab the gun that's laying on the ground, and then I'm imagining a scenario where Lily has to make this decision whether or not to shoot this guy and Kane has to plead his case for whether or not he's Kane or Caleb and it will be just a very it'll be a, a challenging moment for Lily and a heartbreaking one and then hopefully she'll make the right choice and then they'll be reunited forever in love <laughs> oh. I so I want to live in Genoa City Daisy is back. And as much as I <laughs> hate the character, I love the actress. I just love her. She exudes evilness in exactly the right way for me. I just, I love her. And Daisy knew that Phyllis was, you know, inviting her back to Genoa City through the Restless Style article for a reason. I mean, she's no fool. She's a smart cookie. There's no question. She's evil, but she's very smart. So... When Daisy and Phyllis came face to face for the first time, it was like watching a chess match, you know? Um, actually, no, it was more like watching a game show. Like, let's make a deal. Because <laughs> Phyllis offered to pay Daisy's legal fees, all of them, hire Leslie, pay her legal fees, and help restore her parental rights if, in exchange, Daisy would turn herself in, turn herself over. I mean, for crying out loud, she probably would only get a couple of years in jail. But of course, Phyllis is promising her she probably won't do any time. Um, and it took a little bit of convincing. But Daisy actually finally did agree. And this most surprising thing, I think, is that she seemed to be motivated by an interest in being involved in Lucy's life. I don't know if it was seeing her seeing a picture of her or, or what I don't know if it was reading Phyllis's article but something clicked over with her and now she's interested in in Lucy I mean it's not just about Daniel it's not about anything it seems like her primary focus is getting her daughter back and playing a role in her life and it's 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 just it's strange because Daisy didn't seem to have any problem when she was abandoning her I mean <laughs> Daisy did not know that Lucy would end up back in Genoa City. She did not know that Lucy would end up in a safe family whatsoever. So suddenly, out of nowhere, her motherly instincts kick in and she wants to be a part of Lucy's life. So, 
<laughs> Phyllis wins this part of her battle. Phyllis and Daisy and um, Leslie, the attorney, all head down to the courthouse so that Daisy can turn herself in. But the courthouse is where the adoption proceedings with Daniel and Billy and Victoria had just ended. After, like, this really wonderful testimony from Billy, talking about all of the things that he did wrong, but pleading, pleading with the judge to, you know, to, to give them Lucy because they love her so much. And after a really surprising and touching testimony from Kevin, who came forward to say that, you know, his niece should be with Billy and Victoria. The judge finally awarded full custody to Billy and Victoria, and literally, moments later, Phyllis and Daisy and Leslie walk in the courtroom, and it's this clash between the two sides, you know, the, the two sides of where Lucy should be, and everyone is hysterical to see Daisy. I mean, just seeing her face for the first time, it's. I think everyone's head nearly explodes. Lauren is hysterical. I mean, she's like a raving lunatic at seeing Daisy for the first time. And of course, they're all mad at Phyllis. Lauren is so angry with Phyllis. Michael, oh, his reaction is more along the lines of what mine would have been. He did not even say a word. He just looked at Phyllis with this, it was a look of shame, just shame on you. I can't believe you did this because, I mean, Remember, you guys, remember when Michael and Lauren and Phyllis all used to be friends? Yeah, that's over now. You can just forget about that. It's 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 done. Um, and Billy and Victoria have absolutely no reason to to pull any punches with Phyllis. They're so mad that Phyllis would bring Daisy back into the picture just when they had gotten custody. There, Billy and Victoria are like hovering over Lucy, like holding her really tight, just like, you know, like Mama and Papa Bear, you know, just at the thought of um, of Daisy coming anywhere near her. And Daniel, Daniel's just angry with his mother. He feels like she's continuing to, you know, work against his interests, and he can't believe that she did this. And actually, after everyone else left the courtroom, there was this really huge and amazing confrontation between Phyllis and Daniel. And I have to say, I was mad at Phyllis up until this point. But she gave this fiery, amazing, convincing speech to Daniel and it was so different. I mean, she spent all of this time trying to convince him to do what she thinks is the right thing. And now she's just looking at him with almost disgust at her own son. And she's saying to him, you gave your child away and you feel nothing. How can you feel nothing about that? Because, I mean, she it's hard for her to wrap her brain around the fact that Daniel would not want her, his daughter, when she had Daniel taken away from her and wanted nothing but him. And she's saying to him, you know, you're forcing me into this position that I don't want to be in. You're forcing me to become alienated from my friends. You're forcing me to hook up with fugitives. You know, I don't want to be doing this. I'm doing this for you. Do you understand? I'm doing this for you. And <laughs> it was very 
almost just, it was just a really sad moment, and it really, really made me feel Phyllis's position more than I was expecting to, you know, I mean, she said, I hope you have these feelings someday, Daniel, I hope that someday you feel the way I do about your child, the way I feel about you, and um, I hope someday that you become the man that I, you know, thought that you were, so I just, um, I, I, I feel like I'm understanding Phyllis more than I expected myself to, um, but, I, but, but, I also think that she would have had a better chance of going up against Billy and Victoria than, than going to the trouble of helping Daisy get her parental rights restored, because, I mean, with Billy and Victoria, you know what you're going to get. With Daisy, you restore her parental rights, and what's going to stop her from just running away with Lucy anyway? I mean, you got to think long term. I mean, let's say, let's even say that Lucy, or I'm sorry, that Daisy did go to jail for a couple years. Well, she's got her parental rights back. As soon as she gets out of jail, there's no reason why she can't take Lucy and run. run None whatsoever. So I just feel like, besides, what judge in their right mind <laughs> would restore parental rights to this felon? I mean, after everything that she's done and everything that she's done to Lucy, who would restore parental rights to Daisy while Victoria still doesn't have custody of Reed when she's done nothing? I mean, what was the worst thing that she did? <laughs> so, oh, I don't know. It's a mess. And for now, I guess that, you know, Phyllis is just trying to wait things out. She also got this court order to force Billy and Victoria to let her see Lucy, which she probably could have got anyway a couple of weeks ago before she pulled all of this. And now the visits that she has with Lucy are chaperoned by a social worker. And it's just awkward. It's just awkward. And uh, to make matters worse, <laughs> Victor is starting to get involved. Or I guess maybe it's to make matters better, depending on what side of the fence you fall on. But Victor's starting to get back into Victoria's life. So he's involved in the situation. Victoria found out that it was Victor who recommended her to Catherine for the job at Zerbo. So their relationship is starting to be on the mend um, so much better. And actually, I think it was this week for the first time that Victor held Lucy, held his granddaughter for the first time. And he's actually finally starting to act like a grandfather to her. And he's actually starting to get along with Billy. He's making an effort. It was kind of funny because Victor and Billy, who have just never gotten along. They had this scene where they met at the coffee house this week, and Victor actually said to Billy, I want you to know that my affection for Victoria will never outweigh my disdain for you. So it was kind of like this backhanded compliment, but in a way it was like, well, you know, good. I'm glad that they're able to put their differences aside and work toward a common goal. But I mean, now Victor is joining this fight, and so it's everyone versus Phyllis. And, I mean, I feel like now that Victor's involved, <laughs> I, I don't know, I think that Victor versus Phyllis is going to be really good to see. I mean, all of, Victor, all of Victor's resources, all of his money versus Phyllis and her just inextinguishable passion. That's just who she is. So, I mean, just seeing these two really strong-headed people go head-to-head, -head, I think, is going to be entertaining. I mean, I guess we just need to get ready. Um, round one has begun.
Abby confessed to the DA this week that she was the one who was driving the car that hit Tucker. And unfortunately, the DA did not believe her. He thought that she was just covering for her mother when it's exactly the other way around. It's her mother covering for her. And I've been thinking a lot about this moral issue this week. And I actually uh, was having dinner with my parents and I asked my mom. I, I she, My mom has been really engrossed in this whole Casey Anthony trial. I don't know if anybody watches it. I don't watch it, but she has been all over it. And it's kind of a similar E situation. And so I kind of used it as a way to broach the topic. And I asked her, if I had done something really horrible, I actually mentioned, you know, what if I had, you know, drunk drive, what if I drunk drove and ran over somebody, or what if I murdered somebody, would you cover for me? I asked my mother this. And I want you all to know that without hesitation, my mother said, no. No. She said, I would still love you, and I would support you, but no. And I want you also to know that I am proud of my mother for that answer because I was kind of questioning myself because I guess for all of this time I've been, you know, think, defending, you know, or, or saying that I felt that it was wrong of Ashley to cover for Abby, that Abby needs to learn to pay for her mistakes. Otherwise, she will never learn. And um, when my mom said that, <laughs> I, I felt kind of, you know, just a little bit better about, you know, about my view on that. I mean, of course, we're cut from the same cloth, so we think, we think similarly, but um, I totally respected my mom for saying that. I mean, I, and, and that's just the way I was raised. I know that there are consequences for my actions, and there's no doubt in my mind that if I did something horrible, I would pay for it. I would never expect my mom to bail me out in any way. And if I was Abby, you know, like she said, I would, I would make people understand. I would make people believe. I would never put my mother in that situation. I would love her enough to never put her in that situation. Um, so I thought that was an, an, an anecdote that <laughs> I wanted to share with you guys. Um, Ashley's not backing down. Ashley has it in her head that she's going to take the fall for her daughter and she would do anything, you know, to, to save her from these charges. And so she is just, she's set on her path. And um, Sophia came to visit Ashley this week. And at first, Sophia was totally accusatory. I mean, Tucker was like Sophia's father in a way. And so if Ashley tried to kill him, Sophia was going to give her a piece of her mind. No question about it. <laughs> but... The, the wonderful thing about it was, like, almost right after Sophia started chewing Ashley out, she took one look at her and just realized that... <laughs> she realized what, for some reason, Catherine cannot realize, Catherine is unable to realize, that Ashley loves Tucker. And that she wouldn't do anything to hurt him. It's, it's, it's look in her eyes, and you know. So, Sophia connects with Ashley and he's like girl we got to get you out of this so Sophia goes back and 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 just tells Catherine what she saw what she observed and asks her to reconsider and Catherine isn't hearing it Sophia and Catherine are not getting along whatsoever these are two very different personalities and Sophia I mean Sophia actually accused Catherine of running 
Tucker's company into the ground, which I think is unfair. I mean, I just think Catherine is a lot of things, but she is a savvy businesswoman and she's doing what she thinks she needs to do for the company. I don't think she's ruining the company. She's running things the way she would run them. And I mean, I think that Sophia is is just bottom line unhappy with how Catherine does business. When Tucker was around, Sophia was the top dog. You know, she had final say on a lot of things. Nobody to question her. There was a trust there. They had a relationship. And now there's a new dog. There's a new top dog. And, you know, she and Catherine don't have that automatic rapport. And and I don't think that it should be assumed that they automatically should. I mean, it's a different situation. I feel like Sophia should be able to adjust to it. She needs to adjust under her new circumstances. But instead, she totally told Catherine off. I mean, she told her off. And (laughs) Catherine put her on a paid leave of absence without a second thought. Catherine was like, you know what? Get your stuff. You're on paid leave of absence, which I think is actually quite kind because I don't know anybody who tells their boss off the way that Sophia did and keeps a job. I just, I don't know. I think Sophia's heart is in the right place, of course. I love Sophia. Don't get me wrong. Her heart's in the right place, but now her she's out of a job. <laughs> so um, I, I feel bad for her on that front, but she did it to herself. And now, by the way, throughout this entire Kane mess, I mean, everything that's going on with Kane, Sophia has started to have cramps. So she's trying to play it down, acting like it's no big deal. But Malcolm is totally concerned. Sophia is at a pivotal point in her pregnancy. And it, it's not, it, she's in pain, having cramps. It could be stress, but it could be more. Malcolm calls the ambulance to take her to the hospital. And I don't know what's going to happen, but she might be losing the baby. Throughout this entire Ashley's arrest mess, I have to say, I have been disappointed in in Jack's lack of sensitivity toward his sister's situation. I, he should be focusing all of his resources on getting Ashley out of jail. But instead, all he can think about is Jabot. It's the only thing on his mind. Ashley is in an orange jumpsuit, for crying out loud. And Jack is trying to have conversations with her about business, trying to strategize with her. And up until now, Ashley has been she's just been mildly annoyed. And suddenly, after her conversation with Sophia, surprisingly, Ashley has started to sing a different tune. She started to come around on this topic. And now she's so angry at Catherine that she wants Jack to go to the C- get the CEO position. She wants Jack to get Jabot back. Just so Catherine won't see any of the profits from that um, cactus cream that she developed. And it doesn't even make sense to me that she would still be thinking about that. It's just, it's inconsistent. It just gives Jack a green light to go ahead with what he's been going, what's been going on. And I just, I just think that Ashley has way bigger issues to consider than what's going on with Jabot. And now, of course, Jack takes this as his blank check 
to go ahead and do whatever he needs to do to get Jabot back. And he approaches Catherine desperately several times. It's really, it's gotten to the point where it's just pathetic. I, I mean, it's just, it's sad. It's, it makes me sad that that's the main goal in, in Jack's life. It, I mean, I, I love business storylines, but I just feel like Jack is looking really pathetic over it. I mean, <laughs> Catherine tells Jack, <laughs> I'll think about it. I'll think about making you the CEO again. And Jack almost immediately turns around and starts making phone calls, starts calling people, telling everybody that he's going to be the new CEO and things are going to be different. You know, he's making plans. He's doing business. Catherine gave him a slight hope and he just turns around and takes it and just goes with it. And of course, he runs into Victor at the coffee house and he cannot resist the temptation to start bragging. Oh, that he's going to he's going to be Victor's rival again. He's going to get Jabot back, you know? And before Catherine's even made him an offer. It's so ridiculous. Jack runs No. Victor goes to see Catherine. After hearing this information from Jack. And what does Victor do? Well, since Victoria did not accept Catherine's offer to become the CEO of Chabot, Victor decides that he's going to offer to Catherine to buy it. Victor now has made an offer to buy Chabot. He's having the paperwork up, built up right now. He wants to buy it right, from, right out from under Jack's smug face. Soon, real soon, I mean, Catherine is totally going to go for it. Catherine has been in cahoots with Victor since the very beginning, and in business, she acts like Victor's world word. His word is gold. I just, it's just, it's so crazy to me. And now Victor is going to be the new owner of Jabot. And none of this would have ever happened if Jack would have just kept his big mouth shut. Sharon would like to believe that she's ready to move on from her old life. But, I'm, come on. I mean, it's just, it, it takes a lot more than a, you know, a box of brown hair dye and a new flannel shirt to erase all of those old memories. And, um, and Sharon's just having a hard time doing that. She actually caught herself daydreaming this week. And she imagined what would have happened if... Adam would have seen her at that fair last week. And so she has has this imagination where she, oh my goodness, walks up to Adam. He sees her, I mean, seeing this woman that he thought was dead for the first time. And he just looks so overwhelmed and so happy to see her and just confused but doesn't care because it's Sharon and they embrace and it was like like they both experienced this I mean Sharon was just so happy to see him and it was like they both experienced this moment where it was the answer to each other's prayers and I have to tell you I got chills from watching that reunion I like tears welled up in my eyes just something Adam and Sharon man just something about it just gets me it's just share like 
all this time that Sharon has been off on the farm, Adam has been kind of blah to me. I mean, it's just something about Sharon that makes me love Adam. And I love it. And it was just so good seeing, just thinking, imagining their reunion again was so nice. But then Sharon wakes up <laughs> and realizes where she is, who she is. And then drifts off into an alternate fantasy. And this time she starts to imagine the same scenario. She walks up to Adam and they want to embrace, but then the cops show up and Adam is arrested for aiding and abetting. And she's just, she's just caught. She's trapped between wanting to return to Adam, wanting to return to her old life, and knowing that returning would get him into trouble, would get her into trouble, would just be a giant mess. So Sharon resolves again to just move on with this new life at the farm with Sam, which isn't such a bad thing. I mean, Sam actually opened up to Sharon a little bit this week, um, and he told her that he lost his wife. Uh, oh, she didn't die, <laughs> by the way. She just left him. <laughs> I mean, it was weird, because they were having this conversation about loss, and, and, and it was in kind of a death context, and Sam's like, I lost my wife, and Sharon's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize she died, and he's like, oh, she didn't die, she left me. Which <laughs> was kind of weird, but apparently... Sam was just all consumed by his job, and he was ignoring his wife, you know, not meaning not meaning to, but he kind of unwittingly started ignoring her, and so she left. And he told Sharon, he had this moment where he realized that he had to love her enough to let her go. And those words... I think really rang true with Sharon, because that's exactly how she's feeling. She needs to love the people in her life, her ex-life, enough to let them go. And so that creates another connection point between Sherry and Sam. And um, finally, this week, Sam invites Sharon up to the main house for dinner. And I can't even tell you, I've been waiting for so long to see that set. I've been wanting to get to the main house for so long, out of the barn and into the main house. And I was kind of a little bit disappointed. Because I was, oh no, I was expecting maybe something a little less grandma-ish. <laughs> like, it looked almost identical to Hope's old farmhouse. And there are just so many parallels to this storyline and, and the Hope and Victor storyline. But why couldn't we have gotten a new set? I mean, like, what? why can't anyone have a modern farmhouse? <laughs> Not all farmhouses are boring, I assure you. But... Anyway, <laughs> um, Sherry and Sam shared this nice, quiet dinner together. Um, well, until uh, Sam's dog came scratching at the back door. And Sam, here's the dog, wants to let him in. But he kind of goes to great lengths to prepare Sharon for it. He says, Sharon, don't, or Sherry, <laughs> don't worry. I just want you to know, don't be upset if this dog doesn't take to you. He's very protective of me, and he doesn't really like anyone. So just don't worry. And guess what? <laughs> the dog comes into the house and loves Sharon right away. Sam's dog loves Sharon. <laughs> 
very cute. And it, it was very cute. And actually, after Sharon left, Sam had this moment where he looks down at the dog. He's playing with the dog, and he looks down at him and says, Yeah, I know. She's pretty special. <laughs> it was so cute. It was, it was very cute. I like Sam. Um, oh, and uh, the husband of the wife who actually died in Sharon's car. I really wish they would tell us his name so I don't have to keep referring to him as the husband of the wife, the woman who actually died in Sharon's car. <laughs> that guy who we saw last week too showed up at Sam's house during during their dinner. I mean, he is relentlessly looking for his wife. He's going door to door until he finds her. And he, so he shows up in the middle of dinner with a picture asking if they've seen this woman. And Sam, of course, is totally oblivious. But Sharon recognizes him right away. And she hides her face. You know, she can't be seen. And she hopes that that guy didn't recognize her. But I don't know. Um, I actually, I also want to say that I totally take it back about Sam being Tucker's son. For one thing, you're right. He's totally too old. <laughs> but mainly I was just trying to find what the connection was going to be to bring Sharon back to Genoa City. And I guess we don't need that now because I think this guy is about to realize that his wife is dead and that Sharon Newman is still alive. Back in Genoa City, Adam is at the athletic club in his room with Diane. And he has a daydream all of his own. He daydreams <laughs> that Diane is Sharon. <laughs> he wishes. he Like, Diane transforms into Sharon, and she's sitting in the room in this beautiful gown, and she's drinking a glass of wine, and then she comes over and sits on his lap, and they start planning their wonderful little life together. And then Adam has a rude awakening. Diane is not Sharon. He's, she's, she's light years from being Sharon. Um, hey, uh, Noah is back in town. He's, he's kind of here on a, on a permanent basis, and he's brought a new friend with him. Um, her name is Hunter. Hunter, and she does. She doesn't seem. I mean, she's pretty, but she doesn't. It doesn't seem like Noah's interested in her. Although I think she seems interested in him. And now that Noah's back in town, he's definitely starting to come into the storylines and starting to play an important role. And Victor actually offered Noah the chance to stay at Sharon's house. Uh, you know the the you know the one that uh, that Adam owns. <laughs> but can't access because Victor's had him banned from the property? Yeah, that one. Um, the police actually sent Noah some, um, some of Sharon's belongings, some belongings that, were, you know, were recovered from the crash site. Um, they mailed, they, they, or they sent this back to Noah, and um, included were a coin purse. It was a, it was a coin purse, and inside... Um, of the coin purse, there was coins and um, a piece of paper in it. Uh, it was a piece of paper that somehow survived the fiery inferno that charred Sharon's body beyond recognition, but this piece of paper survived, and <laughs> Noah decides to go to Adam and give him 
this coin purse and, you know, kind of thinking that, you know, Adam might want it as a memento of his mother. And it was a very, very nice, touching and tender moment. And I was very happy. It was it was just like a connection point between Noah and Adam for, I think, the first time after all of this animosity. And I was happy to see Noah kind of opening up to Adam and in a very mature way, Noah actually decides that he doesn't want to be involved in this World War III between Victor and Adam. And Noah actually asks Adam's permission to stay at Sharon's house. And Adam, of course, was just so touched by the gesture that he agrees to let Noah stay there, which was really nice. And plus, Adam has got way bigger and better plans for revenge against Victor besides just staying at that house. So, (sighs) Diane and Adam are hanging around the hotel room this week, and Diane decides to ask Adam what what his big secret plans are. What exactly is it that you're planning? I'm sure you got something going on in that head of yours, so what is it? And Adam reveals that his goal is to buy up the Newman stock when it becomes, you know, available. When this when Newman goes public, Adam wants to grab up as much shares, as many shares as possible. And Diane, of course, is like, um, well, how do you plan to do that? I mean, Victor's never going to let you just buy up those stocks. And Adam's response is, well... That's where you come in. And one of the cliffhangers for this week was Adam looking at Diane and saying, you're going to kill Victor Newman. And then, like, the next show, it was it was like, figuratively speaking, of course. It was very deceptive. Like, like for a moment, you thought that somehow Adam was just going to, his new plan was to have Victor killed. And no, that wasn't it at all. Adam's plan actually is, right as the Newman stocks go up for sale, he is planning to plant a news story in the media that Victor has died. And Diane is going to keep Victor um, indisposed (laughs) somehow so that he can't dispute it. And then, as the news of Victor's death hits the stock market, then everyone is going to dump the stock. No, if Victor's dead, no one's going to want Newman's stock. So they all unload it. The stock plummets, and then Adam is able to sweep in and buy up all of the stock cheaply. It's brilliant. And actually, it, this plan has roots in history. As soon as I heard him say that this was his plan, I was like, I know exactly where he got this idea. Because if anybody is interested in history, in the early 1800s, um, Napoleon Bonaparte, the famous Napoleon, and his troops were like steaming through Europe, just conquering everything. And of course, the British were like totally scared. I mean, they were, they were like losing their minds thinking that Napoleon was going to come in and cause problems for them. And it was um, in 1815, actually, that he finally was defeated in the, the Battle of Waterloo. I mean, the famous Battle of Waterloo. And there was this savvy businessman, some call it savvy, some call it evil, I say it's evil, called, his name is uh, Nathan 
Rothschild, and he was um, he was uh, he was British, and he was a businessman and a banker, and he had a vested interest in finding out what the result of this war was. So he had an agent, agents on the ground at Waterloo to try to find out what the results were and to tr- to try to figure it out quickly. So since there was no cell phones back in, back then, this, the agents found out what the results of the battles were. Go, they ran back to Britain, told Nathan Rothschild that Napoleon had been defeated, and what Rothschild did was turned around, put the word out to the British stock market that Napoleon had been victorious. So he led everybody to think that Napoleon was still coming, still strong, still going. And in the, on that day when he did that, the London stock market crashed by like 98%. I mean, everything crashed. And Nathan Rothschild was able to buy up the entire British economy for pennies on the pound. It wasn't until like 20 hours, a day later, that everybody else figured out that Napoleon had actually been defeated. And he pulled off this huge coup. I mean, it absolutely changed the entire outcome of Western history. And some people say it's brilliant. Uh, Some people say it's diabolical. And I say (laughs) Adam Newman is nothing short of both. Oh, my goodness. What a crazy crazy week. Uh, wow. I've, I've been so totally impressed <laughs> with YNR, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. So, man, you guys, find a way to leave me a comment that's not a spoiler. <laughs> Anything but spoilers. I want to hear your com- I want to hear your authentic comments um, about the show this week. So, Here's what you can do if you want to call in and leave me a comment. The voicemail number is area code 309-588-4569. Again, it's area code 309-588-4569. Or you can go to my blog and leave me a comment at yrchatblog.blogspot.com. Again, it's yrchat.blog. Oh, no, no, yrchatblog.blogspot.com and just uh, sign in there and leave me a comment on what you think is going on with this week's show. It's so much drama. I can't wait to hear what you're thinking. It's been a really, really crazy week, podcast peeps. Um, (laughs) I did something kind of funny. I um, got really lonely for some reason this week, and I decided to sign up. This is so stupid. For OKCupid, okay has anybody has anybody heard of it? It's a dating site. Oh, I I'm only admitting this at the end, the tail end of the podcast. <laughs> I like to share little personal things here at the end. Um, OKCupid okay is a free dating site. I want to puke on myself just saying that, and I I made myself a little profile. <laughs> And let me tell you, like, the first day after I made my profile, I thought I was a pimp. I was getting emails from dudes. <laughs> it was like dudes aplenty. I couldn't even believe it. I thought I was just a hot mama. And then, like, the next couple of days, things started to wane off, and it's like no one. I mean, it's, I was fresh meat on the market for a moment, and then I was just over. And, like, basically all of the messages that I've gotten from dudes 
so gross. They're either like just totally, obviously dudes that want to just hook up. Girls. (laughs) Gross. Or people people who can't even spell. I mean, people who you know didn't even read your profile. They're just like, hey, what up? You know, you want to chat? It's just so gross. Dating is so disgusting. I don't even know why I did it. I don't even know what possibly could I was just feeling lonely I got I had a weak moment and that's what I did this week and I feel like I should probably just delete the account now because I can't imagine that anything good is gonna come from it I just basically I just um I don't know I I don't know I need to marry Michael Baldwin (laughs) that's what I'm looking for I'm looking for Michael Baldwin (laughs) Oh, that's uh, my, yeah, I'm clearly, I, I'm, I'm firmly, my feet are firmly planted in reality. Um, (laughs) that's my little confession and that's my podcast for this week. I hope that you guys enjoyed it and I hope that you find a way to leave me a comment. Um, I love you so much and I'm totally looking forward to next week's YNR and chatting with you about it next week. So everybody have an awesome week. I love ya. Bye.